the preaching time talking about how not only we are to look like the, the Messiah Jesus in all that we do, but in our Bible classes talking about the habits and the disciplines and the practices that have been around and are scriptural and biblical and go back as, as far as the creation of the heavens and the earth that help us draw near to God. And in the discussion that the staff had with Douglas, Douglas felt that it was very important that we have somebody, a guest speaker, come in that really knows how to, to motivate our congregation and to say some truly profound things about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And I'm so happy that Douglas was able to bring to our church this morning Dr. Jerry Taylor. Many of you know him from the summer series. He's one of our favorites. He's one of, one of the, the chief speakers in the kingdom of God today, and we're grateful for him. At the end of his sermon, we are going to sing a song. If during that song, after hearing what it is that Jerry has said, you feel compelled, uh, gripped by God, cut to the heart by his word, there's some response that you feel that you would need to make, our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. And so we're going to ask Jerry to come up. I'm going to pray for him, and then we're going to turn it over to him. On behalf of all people, Father, who seek to not only know you, but to walk in the steps of your Son, Jesus, we are grateful that you have brought someone into our midst who is acquainted so profoundly and intimately with the Christ and whom you have touched in heart and soul and mind in such a way that he speaks as a prophet to us today. We ask your blessing upon our brother, We ask you, Father, to bless his strength, his wisdom, his knowledge, and his words. And we ask also that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And this we pray with all of our heart. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Preacher. I just started my stopwatch so if I go over it won't be my fault (laughs) how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together and the unity that is in Christ Jesus. We live in a world that is severely divided, overrunning with confusion, saturated with chaos, bloated with hatred, balkanized with bitterness. But it is in God whom we find our living and our dwelling that hope is renewed, joy is resuscitated, courage is resurrected, and the vision of heaven is reestablished before the eyes of our souls. We are reminded 
that we are here but temporarily. This world is not the home of the soul. We are here only temporarily. And because we are here for just a little while, we dare not get attached to the things of this world because they too are temporary. Those who are called of God through Christ and through the guidance of his spirit walk in the world with the wisdom of God realizing that our attachments here are not permanent and they are really not wise to have because nothing to which we attach ourselves to has any eternal value in this life. The things that are worth attaching ourselves to are the invisible qualities, the things that we cannot experience with the five senses of the flesh. The essence of God's presence is essential to our salvation. The essence of God's presence is essential to our salvation. We cannot experience the essential presence of God by simply attaching ourselves to the external things of this life. It is when we become attached to the physicality of the world in which we live that we begin to experience the cold and calculated hand of grief. We grieve over that which we perceive we have lost. And anyone who possesses the possessions of this world and you begin to lose those things began to feel a sense of grief over having lost something. But in God, there is no loss. In God, there is no loss. In God, there is no loss. It is only when we become attached to the physicality of the world that we allow our souls to become dependent upon those things that are less than God that we begin to believe in the doctrine of loss. When we speak of a saint who has drawn his or her last breath, we dare not say we lost that person because in God, there is no loss. Blessed are the saints who die in the Lord. God, who knows how to find us, even if we make our bed in hell, God's knowledge of our existence is even there. And it gives me great comfort 
it gives me great joy to know that there is nowhere that I can go that God does not know where I am, that his divine intelligence reaches to the far extremity of the vastness of creation itself, even beyond the sockets of the starry stars that hang in the vastness of the sky, even below the deepest depth of the deepest ocean. God's wisdom, God's reach can even reach there, even into the crevice of a grave. And some lonesome graveyard, God does not forget the fact that we are essentially in his hand. That gives me courage even in the face of death, even in the face of the threat of death, no matter what sickness may say in the way of intimidation, I know that we serve a God who is the God of life. And God is more powerful than death could ever be. He proved that on that Friday when Jesus hung there, suspended between two worlds and suspended between two thieves. He died that Friday, but Sunday morning he got up, declaring all power in heaven and on earth is in his hands. That same Jesus is not confined to a lonesome cemetery in Jerusalem, but he lives today. He lives today, and forevermore he shall live. And to all of the millions and millions and millions of people that he has called forth from the grips of death, they too shall live as long as he lives. Therefore, no matter the age, no matter the decline of the health, we can live with the assurance that as long as Jesus lives, we live in him and he lives in us, and death cannot intimidate us even when we walk close into its proximity. Jesus lives, and therefore we live. But when we become attached to the things of this life, we run the risk of being grieved and sometimes losing things and losing people can become grievous. It can grieve us. The text says in Psalm 73 and verse 21, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. When my heart was grieved. The psalmist remembers the time when his heart was grieved. In other words, the psalmist knew the history of his heart. He knew the condition of his heart without having to take an EKG. The psalmist knew the state of his heart both in the present as well as in the past. By the fact that the psalmist says, when my heart was grieved, is an indication that the heart does not always exist 
in a state of grief. The heart is able to endure grief until it reaches the point of relief that we find in God. Some people today are grieving and don't even know that they are grieving. They do not know the history of their hearts. Some people don't know the current state that their hearts are in. They somehow sense a low level of chronic sadness, but they have not identified the root cause of their sadness. And many people are too busy to take the time to process the losses that they have suffered in this world the things that they have become attached to that have been snatched suddenly away from them. Their emotional strategy has become their drivenness to remain overly busy as a way of avoiding the empty sense of sadness that they carry within their hearts. And I'm here to say that I'm one that's always on the go. And sometimes I have to ask myself, what am I running from? Why am I always feeling obligated to be busy? What am I trying to avoid? And it is usually when I block out some time to go to Leb Shomea, House of Prayer, which is a monastery 60 miles south of Corpus Christi, to where you're able to check in and, and go into a silent retreat where you don't talk to anybody and nobody talks to you. I call that my sane asylum. to where I go into the silence for three days or four days or more, and I tune out the external human voices. And then when I silence the external noise and the external voices that constantly are speaking into my ears, when I silence those voices in the midst of my time of silence, I'm then able to hear the inner voices the voices that have been speaking to me all the days of my life, the voices of my relatives, the voices of the extended family of which I am a part, the voice of my mother, the voice of my stepfather, the, voice, the voices of my friends, the voices of my enemies, the voices of culture that I've internalized. I'm able to now hear those voices. And then I can begin to sense at the very core of my being, a sense of sadness, a sense of sorrow, a sense of spiritual fatigue. And it is during that time of stillness, that time of silence, that I'm able to now give attention to that underlying chronic feeling of sadness and grief and sorrow. And I'm able now to deliver that up before not only the attention of God, but even to my own attention. 
and I'm able to know that something inside of me is bothering me and is not going to leave me alone until I give attention to it and deliver it before the feet of Jesus. And if we don't take time in our busy schedule, in our time of busyness, we can spend the entirety of our lives living in a state of grief, living in a state of low-grade depression, living in a state of sadness, and we'll never experience the joy of living. We have to go into the silence. We have to go into the solitude in order to give God time enough to help us see what is going on inside of ourselves. The world around us wants to keep us busy looking outside of ourselves so we can become ignorant of what is going on inside of ourselves. We cannot be in a righteous relationship with God unless we are aware of the inner condition of our heart. We have to love God with all of our what? Heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we have to be concerned about the condition of the heart. And the psalmist says, when my heart was grieved, my spirit embittered. When my heart was grieved, and my spirit embittered. When we do not pay attention to the grief that is in the heart, grief can sour into a bitterness of spirit. When we do not pay attention to the woundedness of the heart, the sorrow that we carry in the heart, it can then turn into a bitter spirit. And sometimes the bitterness of spirit is a contaminant that poisons the soul. Grief is a bitter valley of pain that no one wants to walk through, but we have to walk through it in a way that we do not allow it to embitter us. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. We are happy when the Lord gives, but we are grieved when the Lord takes away. The psalmist, like Job, had accepted the fact that life has an ebb and a flow to it. There is a coming in and there is a going out. There is an expansion of life and there is a contraction of life. As in childbirth, the contractions in life are very painful. Having to let go of something, having to let go of someone to whom we've become attached is very painful. The Lord giveth, and the Lord takes away. Life is going to be a series of us experiencing wonderful blessings. On the front end of my life, God has blessed me with a wife, and then he has added to that union two children. And hopefully, Lord's willing, at the appropriate time, he will add some grandchildren. 
not before the appropriate time. Amen. <laughs> and we rejoice as the Lord increases us in our careers. And we're rising in promotion after promotion. And we're buying and we're purchasing. And everything seems to be going just right. But then there comes a time when the load is beginning to get lightened. The Lord giveth and the Lord takes away. I have discovered in my life that when God begins the taking away process, if I refuse to allow God to be God in the period of taking away as I allowed him to be the God in the God of giving, if I become bitter, if I become sour, then it can impact the happiness in my spirit. And when the spirit becomes bitter as a result of what we see God allowing to be taken away from us, bitterness can also affect and impact the mental state of a person. The mentality of a human being can be destabilized by a spirit of bitterness. Notice what the psalmist says. He says, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. And how did his state of brutality come into existence? His state of brutality came into existence because he was grieved. And the grief led to the embitterment of his spirit. And the embitterment of his spirit led to a senseless mind and an ignorant mind. If you ever want to see a society become a society that is overrunning with brutality, then you allow that society to become senseless and you allow that society to become ignorant. That is why education, help me somebody, is so essential to a society that will experience tranquility. If you allow the mind of a human being to go undeveloped, if you allow bitterness in a person's mind to lead them to the state of being senseless, they will have no sensitivity. Not only will they not have sense, but they will not have sensitivity. It takes sense to be able to be sensitive. Help me now. But if we allow people to live amongst us without developing their minds, or if we set up systems and arrangements that destabilize their ability to develop their minds, we must not become surprised when they begin to engage in behavior of brutality. And the psalmist says here that I became a brute before you. But the good news is, he goes on to say, yet I am always with you. 
You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. That's the good news. No matter how far down on the totem pole of life we may view ourselves, God is still within reach. No matter how far we believe we have drifted from God, God still is reachable. Our task is to reach out to him. We draw near to him, and God draws near to us. I know some people may be present today and you feel like you have drifted so far away from God and you've become so evil and so devilish that the devil doesn't even want to have anything to do with you. But I want to assure you that no matter what state you are in spiritually, the love of God still has you within its scope. No one in here today can claim that they have never ever committed a sin. If you say today that you have never committed a sin, you have just committed your first sin. <laughs> we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one has a right to sit in judgment upon someone else and saying that they are less loved by God because of the life that they have lived. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, and if it were not for the grace and the mercy of God, we would not be sitting in here today. Some of us have had some tough backgrounds, how many of us in here would be in here today if the church based its membership on a background check? <laughs> I think it would be very few in here today if the membership of the church was based upon a background check. But I got news for you. God has already dealt with our background. And so if anybody asks you who I am, you tell them don't be concerned and caught up about my background. They need to know about my foreground. Because it's not about where I have been, it's about where I am going to. And we serve a God that can handle our background and not judge us based upon where we have been or what we have done. The blood of Jesus covers that. And if you have become a member of the body of Christ, a citizen in the kingdom of Christ, you need to walk in the confidence of knowing that God has your background covered. And you are now viewed in the sight of God, not based upon your righteousness, not based upon your holiness, but you are now viewed in the sight of God because of the righteous life of Jesus Christ. I am justified in the sight of God, not because of what I have done, but because of what Jesus did on Calvary. 
When he died on that cross, he did not just die for himself, but he died for all of us, and he took upon himself the stain of our sin so that he could make us holy and make us righteous in the eyes of a loving father. And so now we walk within the work that he has done on our behalf. And so now the psalmist says, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. And here is the critical question he asks. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing that I desire besides you. What a major claim that is. Whom in heaven that I have but you? In heaven, I only have God. And then he asked the question, and earth, what is it on earth that I should desire besides you? In heaven, I got you. On earth, I desire. What is our ultimate desire that we possess and that possesses us while we live in this world. The psalmist says, Earth has nothing that I desire besides you. Where will peace come into the soul? Peace comes into the soul when God becomes the ultimate object of desire. We experience frustration when we desire things more than God. When God becomes my greatest value, when God becomes my highest desire, then there is nothing else in the world that can compare to the peace that I have in me as a result of finding the rightful object of my heart's desire. Lord, give me you. Lord, let me draw close to you and you draw close to me. I want to be near you and I want you to be near me. Matter of fact, I want us to be so near to one another that we become one with one another. I don't want to be separated from you in any fashion because the more I distance myself from you, the more my spirit experiences death. Isn't that in the text? Let me read it now. We Bible-believing people. It says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. The more we move away from God, the more death advances in our soul. And that's what I want to say to us as a nation. 
Let us be careful how we disrespect the reverent being that we call God. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. When we kick God out of the consciousness of our nation's mind, we cannot expect for God to bless America. We have to remember that any individual that divorces him or herself from God will perish. Any nation that divorces itself from the rule and the reign of God will experience death in its society. We need God as much as we need the next breath of air that we breathe into our lungs. We need God. We cannot survive without him. We cannot experience spiritual vitality without God being in us and we being in God. So let us ask him to become our refuge because we're living in a time now where God is no longer the desire of the human heart with many in our nation today. But I hope, pray, and trust that we who are the followers of Jesus Christ will set the example of saying that God is more valuable to us than all of the riches that the world has to offer. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And we have been left here to serve as the light and the salt. But if our appetites have become so consumeristic that we are desiring everything that everybody else is desiring other than desiring God as the ultimate desire, then we too will perish. If the church is not honoring God with her ultimate desire being God, then even the local church will die. Now, we know that the church universal will exist forever. But local churches that lose their desire for God will die. And I am grateful to say today that I can even sense a renewed appetite among the people of God for God. By the fact that we're talking about this subject today lets me know that there is a hunger, a desire in the soul of people to know God and to be known by God. And I would say, continue to walk down that path because at the end of life, that's all you're going to really have left anyway. It's just going to be you and God, not you and your banking account, not even you and your family. Your family can go with you so far, but when that last breath is taken, they cannot go with you beyond that moment. And I've seen funerals where people are weeping and wailing over the casket. And then after the casket has been lowered into the ground, I see those same people going back to the church building for the repast. And they're laughing and talking over chicken. Help me, somebody. <laughs> you haven't even been in the ground five minutes. <laughs> and life is going right on without you. So what that says to me, I'm not going to spend the balance of my time trying to please people who will forget even that I existed in a matter of time. But I want to serve the God who knew me before I was even conceived in my mother's womb. 
and who will know me even after I take my last breath. And so we want to live in that reality and allow that reality to live within us. Did my uh, timer go off? I'm sorry, y'all. I hit the stop button about five minutes ago. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, we want to encourage you to come to God through the doorway that Jesus has opened up to you for you to have direct access to God. You can now be in direct relationship with the divine creator who created all of existence. You can be one with him and he will be one with you. Put your faith in him, trust in Jesus Christ as the savior, be willing to turn from your self-effort of trying to save yourself, confess that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, not only with your mouth, but even with your lifestyle. And if you have not been baptized, we want you to identify with the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the act of baptism. And then you walk in the newness of life and to the glory of Jesus Christ. May God bless you, and may he bless you real well. And I will now turn it back over. Let's all stand and sing Lord, take my life. You may be seated. <clears throat>